Thank you so much, Keith. Yeah, really appreciate you. Don't we? I think we should appreciate Keith. Keith uh, and family oftentimes step in to help out in so many ways, and so it's great on a day like today that uh, you would help us again, Keith, and, and uh, you know, it's exciting because we probably have more staff getting a vacation today than we've had in a long time, which is really wonderful, um, being able to spend time with family and travel to go see family, so that's, that's exciting. Uh, I'm going to get my break starting next week, so uh, look forward to that. But it's really fun also just to see uh, many of you here this morning, uh, friends we haven't seen for a while, Dustin and Bethany right over there, pretty exciting. So missionaries we've been supporting, and then um, they're with crew, and uh, we're a part of this church for a long time. And then I know we got family members and here and, and around, so it's really great over here. Um, good to have you all with us. I'm still sort of riding high on the joy of uh, Christmas Eve. Um, I don't know if you uh, were present, but just for those of you who may not have been present, uh, it was, it was an, an incredible night of really seeing the gospel unfold in the various languages that we have present in our community. And uh, somebody, I was talking to somebody afterwards, and I thought, well, we must have brought in these people to read scripture in all these different languages and actually know this is the diversity that God is bringing together in this community. And it's, it's such a beautiful and a wonderful thing. And uh, it, just, it just warms my heart every time we do that. Um, and uh, grateful for those of you who have participated in, in the readings. That was wonderful. And uh, yeah, just a, a wonderful evening. So um, I'm blessed to be able to share uh, with you some time this morning. I wanted just to acknowledge before I started, I um, was reading this morning about the passing of Desmond Tutu. Uh, you may have read that this morning. And what an incredible example of somebody who stood for um, forgiveness as a pathway of healing rather than retribution, right? Which is often the case in our world. So um, I was reading about his passing today and just reflecting on that. And, and so I wanted to acknowledge that publicly um, with you before I, before I pray. Uh, but would you pray with me? Lord, we, we thank you for examples that call us uh, into the gospel in more and more of its fullness. And uh, we thank you that we get to be your hands and feet of forgiveness oftentimes. And as, maybe as we're gathered with family and it's, it's difficult because relationships are strained, uh, help us to be your hands and feet of forgiveness, Lord. As we go into this next year and we're going into oftentimes a culture that's very polarized, would you help us to be your hands and feet uh, in the, the, the society in which we're a part, uh, hands of forgiveness and love and grace and mercy? God, we know that uh, ultimately um, that pathway is the, is the pathway of strength and of transformation. And so we want to be that. We want to be, be your church in this coming year. And so would you help us to do that? Um, and as we open up this text and we spend a little time thinking about what it means that you are with us and how even that impacts our ability to live out the way that you've called us to live, um, would you meet us this morning by your spirit? Thank you for the shed blood of Christ that makes possible the presence of the Holy Spirit with the people of God. That you are with us even now as we're looking at these words in scripture, as we're thinking about you, you are with us. You're with us in, in all of our, our, our brokenness, our longing. Um, you're even with us uh, because of your grace um, to overcome our sin. You are with us forming community. You're here 
and we are grateful. Um, this is a special time that we have, and so we praise you, and we look forward with expectancy to what you want to do in our hearts. We bring our hearts to you with a kind of an openness and a readiness to have you work in our midst this morning as we think about you through the word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I've been given this text, which you have probably heard now several times at this point in the Christmas season. It's uh, Matthew chapter 1, and really it's just these two verses, 22 and, and 23, and it comes after, of course, the Holy Spirit has come, and there's been this interaction with Mary, and then with Joseph, and um, we finally read this that all this took place, this, this coming of the Christ child uh, through Mary, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, uh, the quote here, and in your Bible it may uh, be a quote, um, comes from Isaiah 7. And I spent a significant chunk of time earlier this week going through Isaiah 7, 8, and 9. Um, but I'm not going to go down that pathway this morning uh, because the charge I've been given is a little bit different. But I wanted to call it out and just say that, you know, if you're interested in digging deeper this week, uh, and the study guide that we put out um, kind of suggests in this direction uh, to, to go back and read all three of those chapters because really what Matthew is doing when he makes a quote like this, he quotes a significant verse within a section of scripture. He's calling forth many of the elements. And this is where we have, you know, some of the beautiful statements about the Messiah being wonderful counselor, you know, and, and being light and, you know, a number of different image, images that fill out the picture of who this Messiah will be. So this isn't just sort of a random quote that Matthew is throwing in here. This ties into the deep flow of what God is doing, uh, reaching back all the way to the prophecy of Isaiah. And that ties into uh, one of the key points that we're going to make this morning, and I'm, I'll circle back to that. But let me remind us of our context here. You know, one of the, one of the uh, things that we've been doing is looking at loss and longing. We've been exploring both of these in light of the past year. And I was saying on, on Christmas Eve, not only just the past year, but you can go back as far as you need to go when you think about loss and longing in your life. And maybe it's, it's right to the beginning. All of that, it can be brought into your relationship with God. And this is one of the most amazing things. This is the, one of the best things about our faith is that we don't have to take, you know, the losses and the longings that we have and sweep them under the rug or hide them in the closet. We can bring them into our relationship, bring them right out into the open, all the rawness of life we can bring before God. And that's a beautiful, beautiful invitation. Just read the Old Testament, you know, read through the Psalms, read, uh, you know, look at how Jesus interacted with the brokenness of humanity, and you'll see it over and over again that uh, God is interested in what hurts. He's interested in what's difficult. He's interested in what's hard. Um, and we don't have to sweep it away. In fact, hiding those things actually allows them to own us, in a sense, more than if we face them. 
And a lot of the brokenness in our world is a result of people hiding their, lo- their losses and their longings in the closet and not, not facing them, not working through them, um, and not having the ability. We don't have the power to do that without God, so, so, so we do need God in this process. But when we hide those things away, they end up you know, sort of rearing their head in all kinds of strange ways in our lives. And so what a beautiful invitation, what a beautiful gift that we can bring our losses and our longing to the Lord. And so I've been so grateful for, for Pastor Paul leading us on this journey. He really put together this series, and um, I got to hand it to him. Um, he's got, he's got uh, a way of doing it. He said, you know, uh, you, I'm going to talk about loss and longing. And so he sort of like, you know, drew us along and teased out all of our losses and our longings and had us write it down. And then he said, and then Andrew's going to solve it. So here I am on Christmas Eve and this morning supposed to solve it, which um, I think actually I've got some thoughts about it, thankfully. But I've been really grateful for this time over these last weeks, because even in November and December, as we were looking forward to this, there's been some neat stuff happening within the church leadership as well, where we have been digging in along with Pastor Paul and then uh, one of our new council members, Lauren Kretzinger, guiding us in a process of, of collectively thinking about this past season together and thinking about the church and it's been a time of healing and and really important conversation and so that's been wrapped into all of this as well and so it's been particularly special for me personally and I think for our church too um, there's an element of you know fruit bearing that comes from this kind of work where we're, 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 we're reflecting together and, and we're, we're digging into the hard things and, and seeking to grow together and really allow God to use, um, you know, the mountaintops and the valleys to draw us closer to himself. And, and that's been part of the process also happening with this. And so I've been very blessed, very, very blessed by that. So I'm grateful. Um, and then as I mentioned on Christmas Eve too, uh, you know, was reminding us of several weeks back when uh, Pastor Paul did invite us to put down our losses on a card. And I was just so moved by the way that you all responded to that invitation. And you brought them forward and you put them in the manger. And then throughout the course of that week, we were able to read them and pray over them. And uh, I, the whole staff was deeply moved by your transparency, and it just seemed so healthy on one level and really beautiful that uh, you all would sort of be open like that. And of course, we talked about on Christmas Eve what some of those losses were, and there were just a number of them that were very powerful. You know, people talked about losing family members. I mean, that's just a, wow, when you read that. Um, and, and, and then, you know, the isolation that's come with this and, and then sometimes how that isolation can lead into and trigger depression, um, losses of friendship, the polarization in our society, all these things were coming out. And the hard time, the hard season that even within, within the church, with, within the local church and then the church at large that we've been having, all that sort of came out and that's good. It's good to get that out. It's good to get these things out. So here I am this morning on the 26th, and uh, my charge is to sort of answer the question, what is the answer to loss and longing? How do we respond to loss and longing? 
And I do think I have an answer. I, I, I kind of, you know, shared it on Christmas Eve. And I said on Christmas Eve, you know, if you were there, that that was sort of a teaser. And then this morning, we're going to be able to dig in a little more deeply into the answer to our loss and longing. Uh, and so uh, this is my answer, and uh, it's not going to be a surprise to you. Um, my answer to our loss and longing is Jesus. Jesus Christ is the answer to our losses and our longing. And so, as we said the other night, you know, when you were, those of you who grew up in the church and you were in Sunday school and the Sunday school teacher asked you, you know, to answer the question and you weren't paying attention, so you just quickly said, Jesus. And usually half the time or more, it turned out that was the right answer. Um, Because it's true that in the story of the Bible, Jesus is the answer. All the threads of the Old Testament and the longings represented in the New Testament find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer. But, and we, we talked about this a little bit on Christmas Eve, um, Jesus is not the answer in some sort of pixie dust kind of way. Uh, another term for pixie dust is fairy dust which is funny that there's two terms because it doesn't really exist anyway. Pixie dust, fairy dust. It's like this dust that you sprinkle on things and it magically changes. Jesus is not like pixie dust. You just sprinkle the name of Jesus on something and all of a sudden it magically is, is fixed in that, in that moment. There, there, there is something that is profoundly more beautiful and wonderful that comes with Jesus Christ when we think about our losses and our longings. And that's what we want to explore. And it's tied right into this passage in verse 23. It's tied into this amazing title that Jesus has given, Emmanuel. So let's look. I'm going to talk about this in three different moves this morning. Um, talking about the fullness of God. We're going to talk about the blessing of God with us, the fullness of God with us, the blessing of God with us. And then I just want to finish with some really practical things related to how that we daily enjoy the presence of God in our lives. How do we daily enjoy the presence of God in our lives? So the fullness, the blessing of God with us, and then the daily enjoyment of God with us. I want to end this, you know, with some practical elements um, so I hope that we can get there and, and together. So I want to share a word with you as we talk about the fullness of God, this first point, and teach it to you if it's one that you don't know. Um, it's one of my favorite words. I use it frequently, and I find I'm sort of sometimes can be a little bit of a word geek, and this one I like, but I find that when I use this word, people oftentimes look at me as if I've got three eyes. Like, what are you talking about? I don't understand. So I, I, I thought, oh, I can't use that word because nobody understands what it means. So I'll think of something else. And they said, no, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to use this word and I'm going to explain it. And then this is going to be part of our vocabulary together. So the word is iterative. Say that with me. Iterative. Oh boy. Iteration is the noun form of it. And it's a math term in some cases. And so I put the definition, a repetition of a mathematical or computational procedure applied to the result of a previous application 
typically as a means of obtaining successively closer approximations to the solution of a problem. So you take a kind of a formula and you apply it multiple times and, it, and, and each time that you come up with an answer, that's a different iteration. It's a term that's uh, also used with computers. We use it a little more commonly. When we're talking about software and we're talking about hardware, we use the term an iteration because software that's, that's built on the next software, that's built on the next version of it, these are all various iterations of that software. And each time it's getting improved, it's, it's becoming more full. I know some of you working in computers and uh, you're going to come and tell me how I messed all this up afterwards. So, but just go with me right now. Um, and what I want to say is this, is that God works with us. His work with us is iterative, iterative. It goes from one stage to the next to the next, and what you can see as it moves from one to the next is that it's growing and changing and becoming more full and more wonderful and more rounded and more pregnant with with potential and possibility. Each time, God's movement with us moves towards that deeper fullness, and you see that all throughout the Bible, even in this chapter that we're looking at. If you go to the beginning of the chapter, you've got this long genius. Genealogy. They're iterations of the promises of God as they're being fulfilled over time, moving towards this ultimate fulfillment. Go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, and there's Eve, and there's the serpent, and, and Adam's there. But in this one particular verse, Genesis 3.15, um, we read this. I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent. God's speaking to the sermon. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Well, that's a promise that took many, many iterations to finally come to fruition in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the offspring of Eve who would bruise the head of the serpent. But we didn't get there immediately. The promise was given and there had to be multiple movements and time had to pass before we got to this wonderful place where Jesus, in fact, defeated defeated Satan. And then if you think of the story of Abraham and Sarah, do you remember they waited, they were given this promise that they were going to have a child and they had to wait. Sarah was 90 years old before they finally had the child. Remember the story of Joseph, how he had this dream, this vision that he, all his brothers would be bowing down for him. And then the next thing that happens, he's thrown in the pit and he gets in prison and all this time passes and he's waiting and he's waiting to see how this vision will come into fulfillment. And we could go on. We could talk about David roaming in the wilderness, knowing that he's going to be king, but waiting for actually to come to fruition or Ruth waiting patiently for God to make a way after the death of her family. We could go on and on. There is a lot of waiting in the Bible. Waiting while things shift incrementally. Waiting while the subterranean work in people's hearts is being done. Waiting while the Lord ripens his plans into fruition. Well, one iteration gives birth to the next iteration. And nowhere is this more poignant for me recently. I've been reading in a lot about this recently. Nowhere is this more poignant than in the way that God is with us, Emmanuel. 
God with us is a central, is central point to the entire theme of the Bible. Salvation, which we talk about all the time, and which in some ways is, when we talk about the gospel, we, we, we talk about salvation, which is absolutely crucial. But salvation doesn't have much value if it doesn't ultimately give birth to being in the presence of God. The highest good is God with us and salvation makes, makes that possible. The greatest thing about heaven is that you're not that, it's that God's gonna be there. Anybody, any other, any, the greatest thing about heaven is it's where God is most fully manifest. The presence of God. And this, this idea of Emmanuel, God with us, goes through all kinds of iterations throughout the course of the Bible. So let me put them up for you. We talked about this actually a number of weeks ago. But God with us, um, and this isn't even all of them, I'm sure, but, but these are some of the key. The tabernacle, the tent. God was in the Holy of Holies, the center of the tent. And that tent gave birth to the temple. The, the actual stone building in Jerusalem. The tabernacle could move around with the people of God wherever they went, then the temple. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he is referred to as God with us. This is a very important point. Jesus makes absolutely no sense in all the things that he said and all the things that he did. He makes no sense if we don't understand that he's God with us. Jesus is God with us. Once you get that key, then all of a sudden it starts to make sense who Jesus is. Critical. God with us. And then Jesus dies, goes to the cross, is raised again, and then he ascends up into heaven. But before he goes, he breathes out the Holy Spirit, which is the presence of God with us. And because now the people have been God, of God have been cleansed from sin by the atoning work of Jesus Christ, they can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit in us then is the presence of God in the world so that the church becomes the temple. Ephesians, 1 Peter, the church is the temple of God and we each are living stones. Oh, so much better than these dead stones of the temple, right? Now the living stones filled with the Holy Spirit and together we're being built up to be a household for God. That's the temple. So crazy. God with us is, is the Holy Spirit in us. We get to be God with us in the world. It's remarkable. And then ultimately, this leads to the new Jerusalem where the entire city, remember we, we talked about this a number of weeks ago, is a cube. Why is it, why is it measured as a cube? Because the Holy of Holies is a cube. And, and so what we're being told is that the, the entire New Jerusalem is the Holy of Holies where God resides. So that's where this theme finally comes to its fullest expression. God with us. Remember in the book of Revelation, there, there needs to be no sun or moon because of God's presence. That's how powerful and how full it is. So the development of God's presence across time is iterative. It's, it's until it reaches its climax in the book of Revelation, where we see the fullness of God with us.
so one thing that we can say in the beginning is we ought not to be surprised then if we feel like sometimes we are waiting. If you feel like healing in the face of your loss and longing is, is painfully incremental at times. As one iteration of your current moment gives way to the next iteration and on and on it goes. This is part of, the, of what it means to walk with God. So we ought not to be surprised that it's iterative. But let me press it a little bit farther. Why does God do it like this? Why, is, why does God do it like this? Why does he work with us in this iterative way? And the first thing we need to remember is, you know, that God doesn't relate to time in the way that we do. So 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9 says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord... One day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. Time is very relative, right? And that's what Peter seems to be reminding us of here. As some count, depends on how you count slowness. But is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So if it does seem like God is waiting, the reason is because he loves us. And he's waiting for more people to come to the knowledge of Christ as Lord and Savior. All right, so that's one piece to hang on to. Um, It just seems slow because we're very finite creatures. And Right? I mean, you know, we look at little kids who are impatient and we, we sort of we sort of laugh at their impatience, right? When when they can't wait, you know, while we we go do something simple. Um, well in the same way, right? We are impatient. We are impatient because we don't have a conception of eternity. So this is an important element of just reframing the way we think about these things and making sure that we see the moment in our lives that seems so poignant right now and so incredible and so everything right now that we see that in the light of eternity. But there's another thing taking place, and this is where I want to spend uh, just a few moments thinking, and, and that is that this progression, the iterative process, has a redemptive purpose in our lives. Has a redemptive purpose in our lives. And this is it. Through it, we're coming to know God in all of his fullness. Put it this way. Through the iterative process, we are coming to know God with an increasing sense of his fullness. And that is the blessing of God with us. So I've been married 27 years. My wife is right over here. Um, 27 years. And... uh, I can honestly say, even though we had an argument on Friday, uh, I can honestly say that I am more in love with this woman today than I was 27 years ago. Hands down, not even a, it's not even a, it's not even a, I don't have to think about it. 
Why can that happen? Why could I become more in love with her now than I was 27 years ago? When we put this in the human framework, it starts to become easy to understand, right? Because we've been through all kinds of things together. We've been through incredible highs and super low lows. We've had those really hard moments that many marriages have where you're like, I don't know if we're going to make this, right? And through all of that, what happens? You start to learn things about this person that you never would have known before. Wonderful things about the way God made this person uniquely. And you get to be in the middle of that and to see it. And then they're seeing it in you. There's something about the passage of time and relationship in the crucible of life and all of its challenges that creates knowing and a depth of knowing that can't be had in any other way. And you know what? God wants the same thing with you. He wants the same thing with you. Marriage is just a, it's just a mirror and reflection I mean, Jesus didn't need marriage to know God, right? It's just a mirror and a reflection. Ultimately, what all this stuff is about is us knowing God in his fullness. That is the blessing. That's what's going to be the greatest thing about heaven is knowing God in his fullness. Rather than like a superficial handshake with God which is what we sometimes settle for in life. Maybe as a child, we came to have a relationship with God and then we sort of walked away and we kind of have this vague sense that we're with God, but we haven't gone deeper with the Lord. It's like we settled for this superficial handshake with God and didn't walk with God in the depths of life to really get to know God in his presence with us, to know him in his fullness. And what happens, the way that this happens so often is it's in the losses and in those deep longings where the greatest work of knowing takes place. Some of the hardest times in my life, you know, I've had these moments where I look back and I just go, you know, that just about wrecked me altogether but I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade it because what came out of it was a knowledge of God that I couldn't have had in any other way. You've heard me say this over and over again. Charles Spurgeon used to say, everything I've learned in times of ease, I could fit in a thimble. Thimble, the little thing you put on your finger, right? We just don't seem to learn as well. And I want to go beyond even, it's not like learning information. We don't seem to come to know God as well relationally without these losses and these longings and that's the ultimate goal that we would know God I was remembering how somewhere I don't remember where I read this but Steve Jobs you know the founder of Apple was known for taking people's keyboards and he would pull out a coin and he would pry off the um, arrow keys because he wanted them to use the mouse 
because of this vision that the way it was supposed to be, the way it was supposed to be is just have this nice human interface with the computer. So there's the poor person who's just, you know, gotten their, their keys pried off of their keyboard and then he would hand it back to them and have them go back about their work. Sometimes our relationship with God feels like that. He's feels like he's prying off the things that we've been depending on and relying on for the last little while. And suddenly we have to do things in a new way. We've got to, we, we've got to figure out how to live and to operate in a way that we didn't. But what is he doing? I mean, I don't care if you use a mouse or arrow keys. Irrelevant to me. But what I do care about is the fact that God is doing something like this when he pries off the things that, that we are depending on that are not him. And he calls us into a deeper and more blessed vision of what he's actually doing in the world. That's the sweetness of knowledge of God that comes mostly only through living life in a fallen, broken world where there is included loss and longing as part of it. If I say... um, that the answer to loss and longing is Jesus to a person who doesn't really know Jesus and maybe has only had a little handshake with Jesus in their life. Um, if I say that to such a person, there's really, it really doesn't compute. The answer doesn't add up. But I, I've had that experience and I've been this person where somebody says the answer is Jesus and the person just wells up with tears immediately. What's the difference between those two? I've had moments where I've been standing in this sanctuary or in the school where we met for so long or the community center where we met before that and I would come in and somebody would be leading worship, more recently Miguel or Keith or somebody like this and we'd be singing a song about Jesus and just the name of Jesus would cause me to well up and become very emotional as I'm worshiping. Why does that happen? It happens because there's history there. There's history of relationship, of going through the hard times together and leaning in to one another in those most difficult moments. So Jesus is the answer, but it's not just pixie dust. There's something more wonderful that he's accomplishing by being the answer to our loss and our longing. He's bringing us into the fullness and the blessedness of relationship with him. So how do we become the kind of person who is daily enjoying the presence of God in our lives? How do we become the kind of person who is living beyond the handshake with Jesus? And boy, this is, I mean, this could be a whole sermon series, right? So let me just, as we finish, throw out some suggestions that, you know, maybe some of these are just coming from what the Lord's doing in my life right now. Some of them may be connected to this text, um, but it's a way to just make this very practical for us. Some of it's connected to the series. 
So I got five of these, and I'm just going to kind of go through them because we just have a few minutes left together and share them with you. And if you're taking notes, maybe you want to put some of these on. You know what? If you come up with better ones and more, I want to hear about those too. But here are some of the key ones that, that come from our series and just what we've been reflecting on. The first one is to be patient. This principle comes, I was really thinking about what Pastor Paul said. Um, his principal point, I think it was the second week, was mediated by prayer, our personal longings will converge with God's sovereign plans. Um, I put that quote from him up there. Mediated by prayer, our personal longings will converge with God's sovereign plan. Uh, when, 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 uh, when he said that, I wrote it down. I was like, wow, that bears a lot more reflection. A lot more reflection. And so I want you to take that down and meditate that on that um, over this next week. Um, because what that's saying is that somehow in God's amazing wisdom and power, the deep longings that we have that manifest themselves in all kinds of broken and messed up ways in our life right now, those ultimately will be fulfilled someday in some way, probably different than what we thought, but in a deeper, more rich and wonderful way than we could have ever imagined. I used to have a seminary professor who really wanted a Corvette. And every time he saw a Corvette, he would just be drooling about, you know, getting a Corvette. And he stood there before he said, you know, I'm a seminary professor, probably never going to have a Corvette. But I am going to have a Corvette. One day I'll get my Corvette, he used to say. I don't know what it's going to look like. It's not going to look like that, that car that could rust. But actually they were made out of fiberglass at that point, so they wouldn't rust. But it's not going to look like that car. It's going to look like something greater. All those longings and desires that express themselves in a longing for a Corvette will one day be fulfilled, is the point. And when you see the fulfillment, you'll say, oh, I didn't know it could be that good. I was settling for a Corvette. But look what God did. So be patient. Because all this is getting worked out right now. Take joy in what you can now. This comes from the liturgy that Nicole and Pastor Paul put together. I think Nicole read this part. I loved it. I wrote it down because it ministered to me. She said, rejoice in the already as you hope for the not yet. Rejoice in the already as you hope for the not yet. I am absolutely terrible at acknowledging what is already. I'm just going to own that before you because maybe confessing that will help me to grow. But I, I just have this like thing where I just see what's not yet. And my whole energy is often wrapped around what isn't, and I look right past what is. The fact that I could get up this morning and get out of bed, that I had a clean, fresh drink of water, that I had shoes to put on my feet and a jacket to wrap around myself in this cold Arctic weather that we're suffering through, right? These are all blessings, and if, if you begin to count them, I mean, you, like I was saying to myself earlier this week, I should try to come up with a thousand blessings, and I know it wouldn't be hard, right? Anyway, maybe you're like me and you need to go on that journey. Take joy in what you can now. Stay alert. 
The Israelites didn't anticipate the answer coming in a dingy old manger in the corner of nowhere. They didn't anticipate the answer to their losses and their longings coming in that way. So some of them missed it. And I used to have a soccer coach who used to tell me all the time, stay on, the, on your toes. And when you're on your toes, it's so that you can move in whatever direction. You can react to the unexpected, right? And in a sense, God calls us to stay alert, to stay on our toes. Because you don't know how he's going to bring the answer. And oftentimes, he's so creative and so infinitely wise, it comes in a form that is way beyond what you ever could have imagined. So be on your toes. You don't know what he's going to do next. Believe is the next one I want to say. Uh, and I'm not talking about wishful thinking here. Um, we have every reason in the gospel to actually believe based on a foundation of truth that is steadfast and immovable. It's not wishful thinking that we practice in the Christian faith. We practice belief in what is solid and true. But if you're like me, I forget to believe in the midst of my moments of loss, my grappling with my deep longing. I forget to believe, like I forget to breathe oftentimes. <laughs> no, I don't forget to breathe. Why do I forget to believe? And this isn't just sort of like a, like a thing, you know. This is part of the daily practical element of living within the presence of God. And it actually changes. If without faith you say all is lost, which, you know, for some of us, we tend to look at the brokenness of our situation and say, oh, all is lost, right? That's not practicing faith. When we say that, we actually change the way we respond to the situation and how things go and our ability to see what God is doing. So the call to belief changes things in the daily. And then lastly, look for the Lord in each moment. Ask the Lord in every moment, every situation, what are you doing now, Lord? Simple question. What are you doing now, Lord? And then you're just waiting. You're just waiting to conceive of what it is that God is doing. And sometimes it will, he will be generous to let you know immediately and sometimes it will take a, a while and sometimes it'll be your whole life. But you just take that posture of, Lord, what are you doing now? I know that you're wanting me to know you more in this moment. You know, I, was, I was working on this sermon this morning and I had another document open and I was just writing down what God is teaching me right now. And it was almost as long as the sermon as I was working on both of them this morning. I can't like just separate my current tasks, write a sermon from what God is doing in my life, know him more. Those two are intimately connected. And everything you're doing on this side is intimately connected with, with you coming to know God more fully and deeply in life. So don't separate those two. God cares about all of what you're doing, all of what we're doing. And he wants to work in and through each moment to help us to understand who he is. To understand that he is with us. Because he is. And that's what you need. 
That's what I need more than anything else. We need him with us. So we come back to this text. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray. Lord, take these thoughts that we've had this morning and anything that's good and of you and that we need to capture and keep for for our lives. Would you sear it deeply into our consciences, into our brains, into our hearts, into our hands, that we might live in such a way that each day culminates in a deeper knowledge of you. Because whatever the world is throwing at us, we're saying, Lord, what are you doing? How do you want me to respond? How am I to live in this? How are you moving? What are you teaching? How are you revealing your grace and your mercy and your goodness? Lord, we know you can do that because you love us as you've demonstrated in Christ and you've given us of yourself in your spirit and we can trust in your goodness and your power. And so we do this morning in Jesus' name, amen.